The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to the scene. I'm Mystic Mark. And I'm Esoterra, and today we spoke with David Warner Matheson to discuss with us the synchromystic exploration, exploration of, of the, the ever-expanding ever now. now. We're glad you're here with us. Enjoy the ride. A common pattern in myths around the world of a divine twin, an immortal twin. In the Gilgamesh epic, Gilgamesh is two-thirds divine, but he's given a twin who's covered in hair that is Enkidu, and Enkidu ends up going down into the underworld, and Gilgamesh is weeping over the death of Enkidu. In the Bible, we have sets of twins, one of whom is described as being specifically covered in hair, Esau and Jacob, just like Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Enkidu is the hairy twin. Esau is the hairy twin. In in the Castor and Pollux myth, Castor is actually mortal and Pollux or Polydeuces is immortal. And they're both the sons of the same mother, the queen of Sparta, Leda. You may have heard of the myth of Leda and the Swan. About trauma, these cutting-edge psychologists that I've discovered only more recently, I've been writing about the connections between the myths and the stars for a long time, been writing about how these twins picture for us this divine self, but it really started to become more understandable to me when I started to hear the teachings of psychologists like Dr. Gabor Mate, Dr. Richard Schwartz, who talk about trauma and how trauma is these is caused by these terrible things that happen to us. But that's not the actual trauma. If, if you listen to the teachings of Dr. Gabor Mate, he'll say, the trauma was not actually those things that happened to you when you were little or whenever they happened to you. If the, If it was, that would be actually impossible to fix because you can't go back in time to when you were three. But the trauma is actually the result of those things that happened and the result was separation from yourself. You actually separated from yourself and that is the ongoing trauma that you still carry and that you can fix. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for tuning in. This is your host, Mystic Mark, 
host of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast, and I hope you've enjoyed the first two editions of the synchromistic exploration of the ever-expanding now, because I have really enjoyed participating in these mind-expanding conversations, and that is the goal of this podcast, folks, is to give you the best information, the metaphysical psychology that you can directly, practically use to expand your now and bring in the reality that you truly want to live. But here's the thing. We need some value in return. This is a value for value exchange, folks. So if you like the first part of this conversation, please go over to patreon.com slash MFTIC to get the whole conversation as well as the video version. If you're a Rockfin member, guess what? The My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast is now on Rockfin and you can get all of the exclusive videos that I'm going to be doing every week on Rockfin as well. Some of them will be released in the audio feed. For, for the most part, you can get everything on the Patreon, including exclusive synchromistic exploration videos from Tara and I's journeys. We have one that we're uploading tonight. So please, folks, go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC to get the whole episode. That's right. You're only going to be able to listen to half of this episode unless you go over to Patreon. And I know what you're thinking. Oh, I don't like Patreon. I don't like using the Patreon app. That's fine. All you have to do is sign up for the Patreon. It's $3. You get a free month before you even get charged. And what you do is you take the RSS feed and you upload it into whichever app you're already using to listen to this. Now, if you're using Spotify or Apple, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get a better app. That's the thing, folks, but there are better apps now, okay? If you're using Apple or Spotify, that's fine, but you're going to have to download a different app, a better app to listen to the exclusive My Family Thinks I'm Crazy Patreon and to get the whole audio version of this synchromistic exploration of the ever-expanding now. We have three full interviews already, as well as a lot of other content, audio content that I've been recording weekly. So folks, go over to patreon.com slash MFTIC. You can message me and I'll give you all the instructions on how to set up the RSS feed so you can be tuned in every week to our synchromistic journey. I hope you'll see us there and we're welcoming you to the family with open arms. Synchronistically so, David, you've been to Gungiwamp, a place that I went to. I parked in an abandoned church. I hopped a fence. I hiked through the woods. And I respectfully, very respectfully, observed Gungiwamp. But you've been there before. And you've seen firsthand the significance behind these megalithic alignments and it's some some people say it might have connections to celtic history in some ways but really what we know from your work and the work of many other people is that these calendrical alignments can be found in stone and all sorts of other forms all around the world yeah, thanks for having me on. And I have been, you know, to Connecticut a few times. And the the site that we're talking about is near Groton. I hope I pronounced that right for yeah. Connecticut 
locals. When I was there, it was very hard to find the site because even the locals that I asked in the area either didn't know or didn't want to say. And I eventually found somebody, I think, who pointed me in the right way and figured out where to park on this, you know, kind of uh, lonely road. And there are some houses there, but it's not, you know, it's not anywhere that you would find all by yourself. And the the way I heard people pronounce it was Gunji Wump, um, like Gunji Wump. <laughs> but I don't know exactly where that name comes from. I don't know where those particular stone circles, their origin, we could debate. But what I am convinced by the evidence is that there was an ancient worldwide system, this ancient set of wisdom that was worldwide. So it doesn't require people coming from another land to build stone circles, um, you know, that resemble what we find in Ireland or what we find in Western Europe in some of the megalithic stone constructions that we find there, because this is a worldwide remnants around the globe that I believe all the cultures have, all the cultures of all the people around the world have evidence of connection. And it's undeniable evidence of connection in the ancient myths themselves that we can talk about. So there was an ancient worldwide system that shows up in the myths of ancient Egypt and it's the same system that shows up in the stories of the Bible. And it's the same system that shows up in the myths of the Norse and of Western European cultures. It's the same system that also shows up in the nations of the Americas and in the sacred traditions of the people of the Pacific and in ancient China and ancient Japan. And they're all different. They've all become, they all have their own character and own flavor, but they are clearly connected in a very deep way. And so these sites around the world that have similar ratios, just like the, the pyramids at Giza have specific ratios in their size that resonate with the pyramids in Central America and what is modern day Mexico, the pyramids at, you know, Teotihuacan have similar proportions or proportions it's very hard to argue that there wasn't some kind of connection. It doesn't mean that Egyptians were crossing the ocean or that people from Central America were going over to Egypt. There was some kind of a worldwide system and that flies in the face of everything that we're taught. Mm. And so, you know, these stone circles at Gunjiwabra are uh, just a, a great place to start. And there's amazing stones all in that whole region of the Northwest of modern day, New York and modern day, Massachusetts. And, and people can go to my blog and see some of the pictures I took at Gunji Walk. It was actually I'm pretty sure it was almost exactly 10 years ago. It was in October, 2011 that wow. I was there. Yeah. That would have been around my birthday. Look at that. I'm <laughs> a Libra. Well, yeah, David. And I, I'm curious to know, you know, as this is the scene, the synchronistic experiment in the ever expanding now. I mean, we did get a little ahead of ourselves because of that synchronicity there. For those who don't know, David Matheson, author, presenter, surfer, 
veteran. For those out there who might not have been when it comes to these stone alignments, you know, for those like us who are eager to explore our backyards and get out there and, and find these sorts of places, what can you say to the experience of just being in the presence of these megalithic stones that have these very clear connections, you know? Yeah, that's, I, I think it's really amazing that you can go to these sites and be the only one there. I was the only one there at Gunjiwam, uh, however it's properly pronounced. I was the only one there at many of the standing stones and there's a balancing rock in the, the coastal, coastal Massachusetts where, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's actually right in the middle of a, of a city, but there are also these balancing rocks in the countryside of Massachusetts and New York, where you can go there and just spend hours there by yourself and nobody else come, come up the, the whole time that you're there. It's a, it's a, an interesting question as to whether you're connecting with something outside yourself or something inside yourself. But sure, are you connecting, are you connecting with spirits, the gods? Is that all in your head? And I think the answer is, who cares, right? If you're, if you're getting in touch with, we can talk about this, but if you're getting in touch with your self, your true self, that's actually hidden from you much of the time by this process of adapting into civilization and getting all these layers of do this, don't do that. That is a necessary process of living with other people, but we create almost like a, a mesh on top of our, on top of who we are, that you can clear away when you're in these special sacred places and connect with who you really are. And that self I'm convinced is actually connected to the invisible realm and to everybody else. And so when you're talking, you know, I listened to your Greg Carlwood interview and you asked him, Hey, what about when you're, have you ever had any synchronicities? Oh, absolutely. When I'm inviting a guest, absolutely. When I'm talking to someone and it almost feels like where I wanted to go, they led right to it. They're getting into sync with one another. That's because we're actually connected to some fabric that's outside of ourselves, and everybody else is connected to it as well. And nature is connected to it. And that's how, when the myths are talking about Odysseus heard the voice of the gods, you know, saying, Hey, before you, before you go to Circe's house, you better know some things about her or you're going to never come out again. Well, how was he in tune? How was he able to hear that message? It's, it is the, the God Hermes that shows up and talks to him and the goddess Athena that shows up and talks to him. Are they inside of him or outside of him? It doesn't matter. I mean, we could argue about it. I think there does exist a reflection outside, but I think it's also going on inside and we connect to that, we connect to that whole realm through reconnecting with self. So back to your excellent question, you can do that in a sacred site, maybe better than other places, especially if you're all by yourself, you can feel that. I believe you can feel it even sitting in your car. If you, if you give yourself the opportunity to do it, 
if if you always are distracting yourself, if you're driving down the road and you have to turn on the radio or you even have to, you're driving and you have to look at your Instagram, it's like, hey man, you're going 75 miles an hour. Maybe not the best time to look, but no, you're addicted to, you've got to look there. Why is that? It, and you think about yourself is right there for you to get in touch with, but you always have to, you always have to listen to something on the radio or find something else and not get in and not connect with who you are. Just think if that was your son or your daughter and they were driving along with you and every time they were with you, you never wanted to talk to them. It was like, you know, you had to turn on the radio or that, you know, the car, you, you got stuck in traffic and you're like, oh man, now I'm stuck here. And they're like, I would really like to just talk to my dad or my mom, but but you don't want to just think about yourself. You know, yourself is like that. It's right there waiting for you, always ready for you to, to communicate with it. But most of the time we're distracting ourselves from it, or there's actually, it's actually a defense mechanism because we've suppressed that part of who we are, that true part of who we are as part of connecting with society or as part of getting these layers that are put onto us. And so we actually suppress who we are. And it's also as a result of trauma, which we I'm sure we'll talk about as well. But if you have that opportunity to just be alone with yourself somewhere, it could be at a sacred site like Gunji Wump or any of these amazing sites, balancing rocks in just any place out in the ocean, you know, where you don't have a, if you're sitting on a surfboard and you don't have a, a phone with you, you can just sit there and be and get in touch with yourself. And so that to me, that's how you feel those. That's how you get those messages that are so clear. And you're like, wow, I was at this special site and I got this special message or I, I got this special feeling. I think we can really get that almost any time that we start to really reconnect with who we are. Cause that's where I think they come from. I think they come through that antenna. <laughs> I don't know about that answer. I'm right there with you. I'm glad you took it in that direction because those of uh, you listening right now in the moment, you know, you may be driving, listening to this. <laughs> and uh, I've had those moments, even when listening to podcasts where you sort of fade in and you fade out, you fade in, you fade out. And something particularly about driving that I think is interesting is when you're able to zone out and you kind of create this flow state mind where your body is very hyper-focused on keeping your car on the road, staying within the lines, observing traffic in front of you, and maintaining speed and all the other things that come with driving safely. While this other side of your brain that's freed up in this process is taking in podcasting information, you know, whether that's comedy podcasts or a sports podcast or... If you're here, you know, a podcast that can probably make your life a lot better, you know, educational, you know, understanding the myths, understanding maybe even conspiracies and having a better outtake on what's really going on out there. I think there's a, a consciousness expansion that takes place there on the road. And I know it, it's definitely possible on a bicycle you know, probably just as possible running, you know, but this flow state mindset that you can get in and then almost 
tap into this unconscious side of yourself, you know, I wonder if that same process is going on when you visit a sacred site, you know, a place that's for thousands and thousands of years been visited by people charged with their energy, their intention, their prayers, and then, you know, left in that stone vessel for the next person to come and add to or take away from, you know? Well, that flow state is a, a great description and you can get into that, you know, in so many different ways. I think probably everybody listening has experienced a glimpse of it at least many times in their life playing music and those sites as well. They are, they, you know, I'm not the expert in, that's not really my area of expertise, although I love to go and visit these sites. And I do believe it is connected because they're lined up with the stars. What I mostly research is the connection between the myths and the stars, but clearly these ancient cycles, so the myths are using these ancient cycles, are uh, captured and um, indicated by these ancient sites because the sites actually have alignments with star rises and star sets. There's a site in Upton, Massachusetts called the Upton Chamber. And there's another book called Manitou or Manitou, Manitou, um, which is the name for the great spirit or the divine, the Native American words. That book explores these different sites in the New York and Massachusetts region. And it talks about the Upton site, which I've been to a few times, and that's also on my blog, that is aligned with the setting of the Pleiades in October, actually, right around Halloween time frame. Now the, the trees are kind of grown up to where it's probably impossible to actually see that alignment, but you know, the, the writers of that book figured out that alignment. And so these, these sites around the world are aligned with specific, they're at specific latitudes. There's a researcher named Gordon Freeman, who's been on the Grow America show at least once. He's from Canada who found a site in Canada. Well, he, he recognized the site, the native American people who visit it regularly, you know, obviously already knew about it down through the ages what he came to it and said, there seems to be a pattern here. And they looked at him kind of, you know, he would keep coming back to the site and mapping it out. And they looked at him kind of funny and said, you notice that you're pretty, you're pretty observant to have seen this site. Anyway, Gordon Freeman is, has documented that in a book uh, called Hidden Stonehenge. Uh, I believe it's called Hidden Stonehenge. I might be misquoting that, but look up Gordon Freeman, but he found it at the, almost the same latitude as Stonehenge in England. So these sites are at, you know, different significant points on our globe. And there are also researchers like John Michelle and many others who find evidence that they may be also aligned with certain telluric energy currents that are inherent to our planet. So that those sites are actually at energy sites, at nodes, at lines of energy. And, you know, they'll be positioned along lines or, at, you know, around the world. So this is. This is a phenomenon that's in England and it's also in China, you know, in, in, in China, they call them dragon lines and in England, you know, they've been called ley lines. Right. And so there may be actually energy currents. And so this ancient 
wisdom that appears to have been worldwide was very sophisticated and understood things about the planet that we don't even understand or we're not taught. There may be people who, who know more about this than the general public, but we're taught that, oh, there's no such thing as ley lines or dragon lines or, you know, all those things. But these sites around the world are evidence of an ancient, sophisticated knowledge that was worldwide. It was worldwide. Right. And these stone alignments are pointing more often than not to look up at the stars. And, you know, you just mentioned this site in Massachusetts that has an alignment with the Pleiades. I wonder how many of these stone structures are built to, mon you know, monumentalize a certain time when this constellation is in this position and, and how that can be mapped out into the future. It's definitely a lot different now when we look, you know, with these phone apps where you just point, you know, and it tells you exactly what constellation is out there. And, you know, past times, these stone monuments were essential, you know, it would help people identify these constellations, which maybe we can get into now. There's one constellation that keeps synchronistically coming up for us. And it's uh, Ophiuchus, it's the 13th uh, Zodiac sign. And I'm wondering, because you were at the Ophiuchus State Park as well, <laughs> seeing that picture on your Instagram. So I'm like, what's the synchronicity there? How did this odd 13th Zodiac sign constellation get a state park named after it? And maybe there's a stone alignment there, potentially, that will point towards Ophiuchus. But can you elaborate on that a little more, David? Well, sure. So <laughs> I heard Tara laugh when you uh, said Ophiuchus. So I, I, I'm interested in, are there some synchronicities that, that you can share with us as how it keeps coming up for you? Just uh, the other night we were in, or last week we were in Pennsylvania and we were visiting the Susquehanna River. And so there's all sorts of synchronicities there. And also, yeah, well, side note, we we're visiting Michael Wan and what you're saying about the cosmos and earth and self, that connection, he has a process where you connect with the earth, you connect with the cosmos, and then that connects you to yourself. And the right to the 40th parallel. Yeah. So, yeah, side note, but we we're down there and I just happened to take his phone and download the app. And I was tracking the stars around, looking at all the stars. And, and then I saw this Scorpius, I think. Mm -hmm. And then just happened to move up and Ophicus or Ophicus was right there. And I was just staring at it. And for some reason it like, it hooked me. And so it started to read a little bit about it. And then he asked for his phone back and he's like, why at this? And I guess he had just seen that photo or. Well, yeah, I, I had recently seen within a week, I had seen your photo standing in front of the state park there. And, and yeah, I was like, oh, okay, that's, that's interesting. And then was it last night or the night before you're looking it up and found out it was the 13th Zodiac sign. So it's, it's come up, it's come to the surface several times in different ways. Yeah, that's great. So 
Ophiuchus is up in the sky right now is a great time to see at this time of year as we're recording here in the first part of August. And it is right above Scorpio. I, I say Scorpio. Actually, in England, I think they do distinguish between the sign Scorpio and the constellation, which they call Scorpius. But here in the U.S., mostly, I believe Scorpio is just called Scorpio for the constellation and for the zodiac sign of Scorpio. And, you know, people, there's probably many people listening who've never heard about my work and research. And then maybe there's some who have, who have heard me say, I grew up with the books of H.A. Ray and his method of outlining the constellations. And he refers to, actually, he refers to all the constellations basically by what they are. So instead of saying Virgo, he'll say the Virgin, or instead of saying Cygnus, he'll say the swan, because he's really trying to popularize and make it accessible to everybody. And so he'll just call it the scorpion. But so that picture that you're referring to on Instagram of Ophiuchus State Park is kind of a funny story. It's a joke. Um, it's a meme that somebody made uh, for me that was uh, on some of these recent contact at the cabin events that we've had with the team from Grimerica and the team from the Brothers of the Serpent podcast. I don't know if you're familiar with right. Russ and Kyle from Brothers of the Serpent. So we've been doing some actual get-togethers in various amazing locations around the country. And so we did one in April at Bryce Canyon. This was put off, you know, all through 2020, <laughs> as you can imagine, it was supposed to be in April of 2020. And then we rescheduled it for April of, or for October of 2020 thinking, okay, well, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a lockdown right now, but that should be over by October, no doubt. Anyway, we held it in April and that's where that picture was taken at the entrance to Bryce Canyon. But one of the reasons why we went to Bryce Canyon is the stars there. It's a very well-known, excellent place to look at the stars. It's a high desert. We were at a point, almost 9,000 foot altitude where we were looking. It's usually very clear, crisp, and very dark, very dark night skies. So, and then we also did one with Randall Carlson, same team from Grimerica and Brothers of the Serpent. and with the team from Cosmographia, Randall Carlson, Brad Young, seeing all the catastrophic geology of Washington and the cataracts and just amazing dry falls, just unbelievable terrain that I'd never been to. It's like the Grand Canyon that you've never heard of up in Washington state. And so <laughs> we'd go out and show some stars. So part of the trip is we go out into nature and take hikes and see amazing things and talk about them. And also at night we can see the stars and I point out different constellations. So it turns out that Ophiuchus is extremely central in the world's myths. It's an extremely important constellation. And so people would joke like, you know, the Giorgio picture with his hair going straight up and he says, I'm not saying it's aliens, but, uh, so they would make memes of, <laughs> You know, I'm not saying Ophiuchus, but it's Ophiuchus <laughs> because, because Ophiuchus plays a lot of very important figures in the world's myths. And we can talk about how the myths are connected to the stars, but try to work that. I forget. So Laura, um, Laura, she's micro, uh, spelled like a crow on, uh, 
Instagram made some of these memes. And I think Garth, who's Thaw Bit or Thaw Bitumen, Bitumen is like a sticky uh, kind of uh, oil tar. Uh, that's his Instagram handle. I think he made some of these memes. I don't know who made that meme. There's a few funny memes from that trip. And so somebody, somebody made that one of me next to the national park, but they replaced the name of the national park with Ophiuchus. So long story where that came got from. us. They got us. I, I oh, looked at that. thought that was a state like, park. I'm like, yeah, David would you know, be involved with the He was supposed to be real. Yeah, well, who knows what's real anymore? So I, I was spreading fake national parks. I'm guilty of, uh, of some disinformation. Or well, it's the only national park that someone hasn't gone missing in. So there's, there's the silver lining. Well, it's interesting that you, you know, you talk about that you looked up Ophiuchus as being the 13th constellation. It's the hidden member of the Zodiac. And so it, it's not necessarily gone missing, but it's hidden. It's unknown. It's part of the Zodiac and yet not part of the Zodiac. And I believe that has to do with its role in the ancient myths of pointing us towards that part of who we are that's not like all the other parts. It's our higher self part that's hidden, that's suppressed, that we don't even know about. And Ophiuchus plays the role in the myths when there's the figure associated with Ophiuchus, not always, but often that figure is picturing for you the characteristics of your own self, that, that higher self, that deeper self that is suppressed and even, you know, neglected and forgotten. Like when you talk to somebody and bring this up, they'll often have a reaction like, oh, come on, don't give me, don't go into that kind of new age, you know, blah, 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 the higher self talk, because we have actual kind of defense mechanisms, parts of ourself that are suppressing that parts of us that for good and logical reasons have suppressed our connection with self because, because society, um, makes it uh, dangerous or difficult sometimes, or we disconnected from self because of childhood trauma, which many cutting edge psychologists talk about. And I was really excited when I started hearing, you know, what they're talking about, because it's the same thing that the myths are talking about. So this suppressed hidden part is connected with that constellation of Ophiuchus, which is like the hidden part of the Zodiac that's not part of the Zodiac. It's, it's higher. It's, it's the part of us that connects with the whole universe, other people, nature, the realm of the gods. That's, it's such an important constellation. It's, from, it's funny that you mentioned missing uh, 411, right? It's the only national park where someone hasn't gone missing. Well, Ophiuchus, represents the part of us that's missing, that's been suppressed, that's forgotten about, that's so important that we reconnect with. That's so significant to me because that trip down there was a huge trigger for me to remind me that that's my, I, that's my higher self. My true self is where I need to be connecting to. And that right before I 
ended up noticing a few kids. I I was just like I said, playing around in the stars and happened to aim it at one star, which is the the Polaris. And Tara. another name for Polaris is Terra. I heard wow. Harold says that. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you're giving me a, a star like uh, lesson. I didn't know that that was associated with Terra. I mean, that's awesome. So yeah. So then, and then, so I immediately I connected with that, and it's like, like I felt, I felt my, you know, my higher self, and connected to myself in that, and that was like, and then. And then I just went over to Ophicus and, or Ophicus, how do you pronounce it? Well, so actually, I've actually got a dictionary around here that um, I really like. It's one I've had a long, long time. And it says that there's two ways to pronounce it. So I always say Ophicus. That dictionary has both Ophicus and Ophicus. So some people say Ophicus with a kind of like oligarchs or oligarchs, you know, take your pick. They're both correct. Tomato, tomato. Yeah. So ophiuchus is also right. It means the serpent holder. So it comes from a Greek word for snake. And I always remember when I was in high school, I had a really fantastic English teacher, Dr. Fisher, who would talk about all kinds of things. But he he said, you know, whenever people come to my door to try and convert me to whatever religion they're trying to convert me to, I always tell them, oh, I'm an ophite. And I close the door. And then he explained to us, Ophite means a serpent worshiper who worships the serpent because it opened everybody's eyes in the Garden of Eden. And, you know, so he believes that, you know, the serpent is kind of like waking up humanity. <laughs> so, I, I don't know what he actually, you know, how, how, how facetious or sarcastic he was being with saying he's an Ophite. But that, that word Ophite comes from worshiping a snake or snake. And so the word Ophiuchus means the serpent holder. So the constellation itself is holding a serpent. It has kind of a central body that's shaped like a tall rectangle, very tall, and a triangle on top. So it's almost like a tombstone shape or a, an obelisk shape, like the Washington Monument obelisk, a tall rectangle with a pyramid on top. That's, that's how Ophiuchus's central body is shaped. And then on either side are two wavy lines of stars that are fainter, but you can see them on a dark night. And those are the two halves of the serpent that Ophiuchus is holding. And I'm not saying he is holding or she is holding because all the constellations in ancient myth play roles of gods and goddesses, male heroes, female heroes. They're, they play many different roles. The goddess Athena, for instance, is associated with Ophiuchus. I can show that for a fact, well, I, I have abundant evidence to support that connection. So obviously she's a goddess, but the Buddha is associated with Ophiuchus. And Krishna in the sacred traditions of India and in the ancient Sanskrit texts is associated with Ophiuchus. So is, so is Vishnu, in fact. So Krishna is one of the avatars of Vishnu. So it can be male figures, can be female figures is holding a serpent in the sky, but those serpent halves can be envisioned as many other different things as well. Not always a serpent. So that's how you pronounce it. Did you ask it? She asked a simple question on pronunciation. Okay. Here's that up. Um, 
Well, but, but, but that trip you're referring to, you mentioned when you were down there, I'm assuming you're referring to coast, the Costa Rica trip that maybe we were talking about or in Pennsylvania. Oh, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we haven't been to Costa Rica yet. It started in Costa Rica though, for me. I wasn't there. No, that, that was years ago. <laughs> like when I, yeah, that was an awakening for me. And now I, like it redirected me to focus on my trauma that is still, you know, hanging around that I've been distracted from for a while. And which also leads me to ask you about the two sides of the snake too and what they represent and if they're connected to the twins caster and pollux somehow in their being representative of the self and the two sides of the self that's a really really insightful question tara and the so the two halves of the serpent appear in myths in, in lots of different ways. And I'm not, I don't think there's enough evidence to say they directly connect with, you know, there's a, there's a whole different constellation. That's the Gemini twins and the stars in the Gemini twins have the names of Castor and Pollux, but that's a really insightful connection that you just made about the twins of Castor and Pollux being connected to the higher self or, you know, this concept of, so in the twins, so twins appear throughout myths around the world. So the Ophiuchus figure often plays the role of a figure that's intended to teach you of the existence of this self that you have, that everybody has. So we can come back to that assertion that A, everybody has a self, B, Ophiuchus figures are connected with figures in the myth intended to teach us that truth. Um, and then Castor and Pollux themselves, I mean, the constellation Gemini does have two stars named Castor and Pollux, and they're the heads of those two twins. And one of those two stars is brighter than the other, but those are the two brightest stars in the Gemini constellation, Castor and Pollux. And in the ancient myths of Castor and Pollux, or he was called in Greek, Polydeuces, so it's Castor and Polydeuces. One of them, Pollux is the Roman name, just like Hercules is more familiar to us, but the Roman name was Heracles. Castor and Pollux is pretty much more familiar to everybody, but the Greeks called them Castor and Polydeuces. But one of the twins is divine, and one of the twins is mortal in that myth. And this is a common pattern in myths around the world of a divine twin and a mortal twin. In the Gilgamesh epic, Gilgamesh is two-thirds divine, but he's given a twin who's covered in hair that is Enkidu, and Enkidu ends up going down into the underworld, and Gilgamesh is weeping over the death of Enkidu. In the Bible, we have sets of twins, one of whom is described as being specifically covered in hair, Esau and Jacob just like Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Enkidu is the hairy twin. Esau is the hairy twin. In, in the Castor and Pollux myth, Castor is actually mortal and Pollux or Polydeuces is immortal. And they're both the sons of the same mother, 
the queen of Sparta, Leda. You may have heard of the myth of Leda and the swan. Leda and the swan. Anyway, I've got a blog post about it. You can, people can check it out. They recently uncovered this beautiful painting uh, in Put the link Pompeii. in the episode description. But anyway, Zeus is always falling in love with various mortal women and wanting to seduce them, right? So he turns himself into a swan and seduces Leda, the queen of Sparta. This can be shown to be celestial in nature. There are, there's a constellation called the swan, as we just briefly mentioned. But anyway, she's the queen of Sparta. She's married to the king of Sparta, Tyndarius. He's a good king. He's conscientious and brave and all those other things. So when Zeus sleeps with Leda, she's, she becomes pregnant with, you know, a, a son who's going to be the son of Zeus and Leda, but Zeus arranges for the king, King Tyndarius to come in later that night and also sleep with her so that she, you know, that the pregnancy doesn't give away the fact that she's been seduced by the God Zeus. So, so she becomes pregnant with twins. One is the son of Zeus and Leda, Pollux, and one is the son of Tyndarius and Leda, Castor. So he's going to be mortal, but his brother is going to be immortal. And so eventually Castor is killed that, you know, so these hero twins go around fighting giants and righting wrongs, but they, they actually are fighting a pair of giants and Castor gets speared right in the I think he gets speared in the gut. Um, I don't remember exactly, but it's a mortal wound and he's going to go down to the underworld and Pollux or Polydeuces is just distraught. He goes to Zeus and he says, I can't live without my brother. Zeus says, well, your brother's mortal. He's going to go down to the underworld. That's what happens to all mortals. And Polydeuces says, isn't there anything I can do about it? And Zeus says, well, um, not really. And Pollux says, can't I, can't I share my immortality with him somehow? And Zeus says, well, you can actually, if you want to, but if you do that, then you'll have to share his mortality. So you can bring him up to Olympus and enjoy some of the time with him up here, but you'll have to go down to the underworld of Hades and, and spend some time down there in the gloomy underworld with your brother, if you want to do that. And Pollux says, yep, that's what I want to do. I'll give up part of my divine characteristics to participate in some of his mortal characteristics so that he can have some immortal characteristics. And this whole story is, as you already perceived, Tara, a, a, a metaphor. It's esoteric. It's talking about our condition. We have this curious mixture of divine and mortal. You know, that's what the hairy twin is like, you know, you're encased in a physical body that's animal, got animal characteristics and mortal characteristics and it will die and it will, you know, fall apart. Thank you folks for joining us on the synchromystic exploration of the ever expanding. Now, please go to starmythworld.com to see everything. David Matheson, is there anywhere else that people should find you? Uh, obviously Star Myth World on Instagram. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, StarMythWorld.com is the website where there's a lot of archived podcasts, including that first, My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, um, other podcasts that I've appeared on. There's videos that I've made. 
a long running blog that you can search for. If you want to search for every blog post that mentions Ophiuchus, you can. I actually used to spell it. <laughs> I used to spell it wrong. So I used to spell it Ophiuchus, C-U-S. Now I realize it's C-H-U-S. I may have to search with both spellings <laughs> if you want to find every single thing. But yeah, Starmus, Starmus of the World is the name of it, but it's starmithworld.com. People can just search for my last name and the word stars, like with any kind of a search engine and probably stumble across something. But thanks so much for having me on and for those kind words. Appreciate it. Right on. All right. Well, folks listening, have a great moment wherever you are in the now. Thank you for tuning in to the synchromystic exploration of the ever-expanding now. Please go to the Patreon, patreon.com slash MFTIC. Not only do you get the whole hour-plus long conversation, you also get some extra funny outros from myself and Esoterra. So please go over and enjoy on patreon.com slash MFTIC. We'd really love to see you there.